Welcome to this episode of By The Way. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor at The Way Church. This episode is part of a series that comes out every Wednesday in Advent. I'm joined by pastors Nate Larish and Josh Schultz, two incredible pastors who also happen to be two of my best friends. We recorded these episodes because Advent is a special time of year when Christians prepare for the coming of Christ, and there's no better way we can do that than by spending time in God's Word. So I hope you enjoy these episodes and they can be a time of spiritual reflection and devotional rejuvenation for you during your Christmas season. All right, so uh, I'm Pastor Josh from Great Falls, Mon- Mountain View in Great Falls, Montana. Pastor Matt from Fredericksburg, Virginia at the Way Lutheran Church. And Nathan, Pastor Nathan from Illumin Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I thought last time when we brought up that we've known each other for like 21 years, we just like mentioned it and then moved off it so quickly that people are like, oh, they, they must know each other and not be really good friends. So we're going to try to get to know each other a little bit better and prove that we're good friends on this podcast. All right, good. 21 years. So let's start with um, our opening question. Nate, I'm going to have you go first. And so you said you didn't want us to ask this question. Favorite Christmas tradition? I. I already told you I don't have one, but so do you not enjoy Christmas? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> as a kid, after the Christmas Eve service, I, that was like the one time of of the year where we would have shrimp. But the best part of having shrimp is the cocktail sauce, and that would be the one time that we'd have it all year. So <clears throat> there, there is my favorite Christmas tradition, even though. That's a ridiculous answer. How about you? All right. My favorite Christmas tradition, actually, we just started it a few years ago, Rachel, and I and my two daughters, since we moved out here to Montana, is going and cutting on a Christmas tree, down a Christmas tree in the mountains. I grew up having an artificial tree, which we probably would if we weren't here. Uh, but now that we get to go for free, or sometimes it's, I think it's $10, actually, you got to get go get a permit of Go up uh, in the mountains on some of the logging roads and cut down a Christmas tree. It's, uh, it's a really good time. My favorite has to do with Christmas lights. Always Christmas lights. Growing up, we would get ready for bed and then drive drive around and look at Christmas lights. And then we do it too. We live in a neighborhood that does a really awesome job decorating. And so we always check out different streets, go on walks. It's a good time. Do you have Christmas lights on your house? Yeah, we do. And keep it simple, keep it classy in the front. And then this year, try to get a little wild in the back. Like I did two different trees. And for the first time ever, used the old lighting nets uh, on some arborvitas and uh, then, you know, wrapped a crepe myrtle as well. So got, got kind of wild this year, at least for the Rothy family. Look at you dropping names of two different trees in the same sentence. <laughs> Impressive. All right. Well, we are going to get into the actual Bible today, and uh, I'm going to read the text we're talking about. It's Isaiah 40, uh, the first 11 verses. Here we go. And I love this text. We all do. So enjoy just hearing what God has to say. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up 
every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Amen. Nate, you said you were really excited about this text, not only when we got to study together last week, but we were texting today. You said you were looking forward to talking about it. What what most encourages you about this text? What do you love most about it? I don't really know how to pick an answer to that. I don't think uh, I just, I read both your sermons earlier today and it, this was neater than I thought it was going to be us preaching on the same text, but doing three different things with it. And um, just two days after I preached reading what you each, the word that you both preached, it was just, I loved it. I'm not going to answer your question say one thing, but just the whole comfort, comfort, and verse two, just all of it, <laughs> uh, sin's been paid for, double forgiveness. The second half of verse eight sounds stands out because every part of life is uncertain, but the word of our God endures forever. And that's where we can always go. Um, and then just the joy, the joy and the confidence that comes through in verses nine through 11. Um, like here is your God. And the fact that we as pastors and we as Christians, that's what we get to say to people because um, he is the God for everybody. And we just get to say, here he is. Like, I don't have to make something up. I just get to say, here's God. Here's who he is. And that's the best. And then obviously the last verse as well, the tender, loving, strong, protector, shepherd. It's so good. It is. We're going to talk about it more later on, I think, with some questions. But the entire second part of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is one of comfort, is one of encouragement to God's people. And this text is just jam-packed with it. It's just dripping with comfort um, from the very first words throughout. It's pretty awesome when you have, uh, when you're preaching on it or giving a Bible study or talking about it on a podcast as a pastor, when you have uh, a section of God's word in front of you that, I mean, there's so much gospel in it. You just don't have enough time to cover it all of all that God has done for us, of all the different ways God has loved us. It's, it is just so rich and so full of how God loves us and how he, how he loved us in Christ. And it's, there's so much beauty in here. I just think all of us, as we prep for it, of talking about how it was, you know, a difficult text to preach on because there's so much, so many amazing things that we want to talk about and that wrap that into a a 20 or 30 minute sermon is, is tough. And that just, shows how amazing God's word is to comfort us. 
I'm going to go off on a very small tangent because as I'm looking at Isaiah 40, I don't, none of us in our sermons talked about what comes after this, but we could have just kept on going because man, the next few verses are amazing as well. Take a look at verse 12. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? And then like verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And like in one to 11, we get his love shining through and then it follows up with his power and none of us even talked about that mm-hmm. but that's just another another facet of it that which, sounds exactly like job you know god's when god speaks to job and says brace yourself let me tell you who i am and what i've done yeah and so like a god who carries the earth around like it's dust in a basket oh and we don't have to be afraid because his message is comfort to us mm-hmm. wow yeah, so many different pictures in here. Um, whether it is ones you just mentioned, him as a shepherd, him as a returning warrior who's mighty and has a reward with him, uh, and then the image that is quoted in the gospel lesson uh, that we read on Sunday, Mark chapter one, uh, pointing ahead to John the Baptist and his ministry, uh, talking about just the mountains, the valleys, making straight a highway for our Lord. Yeah, packed with a lot of different imagery. Wendy asked a question from Fredericksburg. She said, if I was reading through this on my own, I might not understand what Isaiah was getting at with the questions about the mountains, the wilderness, the valleys. How do you guys explain those verses? How did you guys explain those when you preached on them? In the initial immediate fulfillment of these words, you see a a return from exile, from Babylon to Jerusalem, wilderness, pave away, and yet, but it's talking about the way for the Lord, and then we see, obviously, it's exact fulfillment in the coming of Jesus, a voice of one calling, being John the Baptist, but when he's talking about that, he's using figurative language in the sense of make a way into your lives, into your heart, not talking about specifically conversion, right? Because we can't prepare, we can't prepare ourselves, uh, our hearts for, for God to come into our hearts. But, you know, being believers, him coming into our hearts, him coming into our lives through the means of grace, through word and sacrament. I don't know, we should probably talk too about, did you guys bring it up in your sermons about uh, the historical background and context of it, like a king going to visit a village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really awesome picture that Isaiah is talking about here is that before a king would go and visit a town, he would not only send ambassadors to announce, hey, king's coming to town, but also people, emissaries, ambassadors that would say, hey, he's coming. So before the day when you had nicely paved roads everywhere, hey, get ready. For him to come by any obstacles in the road, make it straight. Any zigzags in the road, you can't have the king getting lost. Straighten those out. Get it ready for him. And in so many ways, that is a summarization of the message of Advent. And that's one thing that I think all of us pointed out and talked about. Uh, how does this section, and I guess I'm specifically talking to the verses we're looking at in three to five, how does that summarize Advent and the, the message? of this special season in the church year. Well, I didn't go too deep down into these 
couple of verses in my sermon, but what we all said was, you know, God calls us to prepare our hearts for him constantly. And that's especially what we think about at this time of year, preparing for his coming at Christmas. And also Advent is a time of looking ahead to not just Christmas, but to the end of time and being ready. We especially talked about that last week, but being ready and prepared for Jesus to come back at the end of the world. And so this can also apply to our hearts, like taking down any barriers. I think you both just said that. You guys both went into more detail there. What do you think are either in our hearts or in the hearts of other people? What are the valleys? What are the mountains that need to be leveled out specifically? Yeah, I think you could talk about ones that, I I don't know, I get, I listen to sermons often enough. I think, you know, things that get pointed out are finding security, maybe in your ideas of work or family. You're super proud of being a mother and a father, and that's what your identity is based in. And you really find your comfort and security in that. So family, maybe your work, maybe the money you make from work, maybe material things. Uh, But thinking through this and having some conversations with people, I think one of the things that a lot of modern Americans find comfort in is their own virtue. And we had a conversation uh, about how it can be people whose virtue is that of uh, moral purity, that they do what God's word tells them to, and they're really, really proud about that. And then I think if you picture someone that is like that, you just pictured somebody over the age of 40. And on the other hand, if you think of what maybe a millennial generation and below that prides themselves in, it's their their social wokeness and the fact that this is how a Christian applies their faith in a really confusing and difficult time to be alive. And both people, both Christians pride themselves in how they live out their faith. And that is what we find our comfort in. And what that does is it ends up replacing the object of our faith. And that's Jesus. And that's Christ. And in him, we find our identity. In him, we're all humbled because we all sin. But in him, we're all comforted because he has completely paid for our sin. I think when you look at it, you know, how do we, how do we interpret this? How do we apply this in, in our lives? Matt, you said it well. When you're looking at it through the lens of prepare the way for the Lord. So the Lord is coming to us. Prepare the way that he has to go on. I don't know. I just, sometimes I'm really hesitant to really go in depth about it because there's, for me, there's a big question mark sometimes of, of what is this exactly saying? Of how do we apply this? I, I should ask it this way. What should we not say about this that maybe you have heard before in applying this passage to our life of, of taking this passage too far? What would be an example of that? Are you getting at that? It's talking about maybe this particular sin or that particular, uh, you know, commandment and people's specific sins against that. I think that would be taking it. What do you mean by that? Uh, that that's good. I want to talk more about that. Are you getting that? Like if you, if you clean up your life enough or if you prepare your heart, then God can really get in. Right. And, I guess that's what I'm, and that would be taking it too far. You think? Sure. Like we could overemphasize, God can't speak to you unless you really put yourself in the right frame of mind. Or I would never want anyone to think like, unless they have overcome a sin, God can't, God can't speak to their hearts. 
Yeah, and that's what I like that, you know, as you just read through it, Nathan, there's this, this just, just a sandwich of gospel around those verses that do get really real about sin. We haven't talked about it much yet, but verses 6, 7, and 8 talk about how all people are grass. Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. It's like grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. And those verses, they pack a punch. They really, they really call you to repentance, which is also um, what this season of Advent is about. And, you know, that is part of it. That's how you prepare your heart for Christ coming into this world is to watch, is to repent. Uh, the lesson that we read from Second Peter this past week, where it says, be found as pure, blameless, and holy. And when he comes back, so how do you find yourself in that way? Well, you stop, you repent of your sins, but the joy that we get to talk about when we talk about repentance is that it's simultaneously recognizing that, yeah, we have lived outside of the way that God has wanted us to. Our faithfulness, it's been like flowers. It's just like disintegrated. And yet we at the same time get to turn to Christ and see just joy uh, that we have in him, that he has paid for all of our sins. And not only that, that he is a God who gives us double for our sins. He gives us double grace for our sins. That's how he pays us back. He pays us back with all his faithfulness times two for our faithlessness. He pays us back times two with grace for all of our mistakes. Yeah, I think, Josh, what you said is really, oh, really great that God speaking to us is not rooted in what we do or how we prepare ourselves or how we make our hearts ready. Um, it's really the other way around and where our identity lies is in, especially in verse two and verse one, that we are the people of a God who says comfort and he has made us who we are. He has, he has forgiven all our sins and that's where our identity rests. And so now, since we have such a great gift like that from God, man, a paraphrase of verse three and four might be just, Whatever else you're finding comfort in, get rid of it. Like stop finding comfort in it. And we we've talked about giving our people resources and preparing your hearts for Christmas. And I've sent devotions, I've sent podcasts, I've sent other devotions. Have I have I read my devotion that I gave to my people every single day of December? No. Um, like there's things, and I'm laughing, but I shouldn't. Um, I need to do this. Mm -hmm. We need to do this. I just think too, when you talk about something being convicting and truly emptying ourselves of preparing the way for the Lord. Uh, yeah. Verses six and seven, that we are like grass, that the flower, the flowers that make us beautiful, the things that we're most proud of, right? Jesus says there, or God says they're here today, gone tomorrow. And yet, in verse eight, but the word of our God stands forever. It's not just that God's word is true there. It's assuming that it's that the word that he has just spoken to us in verse one and two, these promises that our sins are forgiven, that can never fall. That will never fade away. That will always be there for us to cling to. And that's what we find our comfort in and not finding our comfort in ourselves or in our accomplishments. That's why it's convicting, but so it, it just fills us up with, with the gospel. It's beautiful. That's one of the things that I love about this text most is just the encouragement that it gives me as a pastor. Uh, but it's not just for me. It's for all Christians to go and share God's word, to go tell it on the mountain, shout it out, lift it up. Don't be afraid. 
And one of my favorite points that my friend Becky brought up in a conversation about this text in Bible study is that, yeah, we spend a lot of time, just as we did right previously, talking about the call to repentance that is inherent in the season of Advent that is here in this text. And yet God never says, oh, wait until you become uh, more holy or wait until you reached a certain level of piety before you go and share the gospel comfort that you have with everybody you know. He says, do that now and go tell it on a mountain. This is, this is it. That sermon that God gives us to preach, he specifically tells us to go tell others, here is your God. Mm. And is that not the heart and soul of the Christian experience at Christmas, right? That God arrived and now he wants us to go up on a mountain, Christians to stand up and to tell the world, here is God, right? God himself has come to us in the flesh, in the man, uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know, he is right here. And not just in the world today, but all humanity of all time, you know, just has this natural searching for God. Who is God? And what does he think of me? And we can proclaim that message that this is God here in the manger, and this is how much God loves you. That's what he thinks of you. That he would come and do something like this, live in the flesh and live in our place to live and die for us. How beautiful is that? Amen. Well, we got some questions that uh, some members from our churches sent in. Josh, you want to take us away reading uh, the first one here? Yeah, this one's from Joan in Great Falls. And uh, she asked in our recent Bible class, uh, was the book of Isaiah to Old Testament believers our version of the book of Revelation? And I think what she was getting at with that question is, is you know, we use Revelation to tell us what are the end times going to be? right? Not only end times we live in, but the end times of when Jesus comes again. And before they had revelation, did they use between Isaiah and, and, and John, when he wrote his revelation, did they use Isaiah for that to be their main source of how to view the end times? That's a great question. So the, the thing that I think is really amazing just about our God and the fact that he sends people to preach the gospel to us and prophets to his people in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that when Isaiah was sent to minister to the people of Israel, it was even before they endured all of the consequence for Israel's sins and they endured all of the punishment for their unfaithfulness that Isaiah vividly describes in the first 39 chapters of this book. So he talks about the bad that is going to come and it's going to come in 75 years. So it hasn't even happened yet, but Isaiah's there. He's predicting it. He's prophesying it on behalf of the Lord. And yet he doesn't let that just sit. He also, because our God is so good, gives comfort to his people and says, Hey, this is going to be bad. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be rough. And yet I am your God. Here is your God. See, his reward is with him. Look, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He cares for us. All, all of this beautiful, comforting language here. And as I heard you read Joan's question and thought about it, I think that is very much like revelation for us as New Testament believers, right? We look at this book of the Bible that does indeed predict the end times and all of the 
difficulties and all of the troubles that God and his people in this world will have uh, as we come closer and closer to the day he comes to take us back. And yet, as we look at that, what also do we see? Well, we see comfort. We see comfort knowing that heaven is ours, that Christ stands victorious, that he lives, and therefore so shall we, and that he's going to give us the crown of life. Like there again, in the same way that book tells me about what is yet to come, but provides the comfort of yet to come, that has to be what it was for Isaiah and Old Testament believers as well. All right, I got a question here for you guys. It's from Mike in Fredericksburg. He asked a question specifically with verse five, when it says that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. Mike's question was, was this glory of the Lord revealed to people in reference to the end times? Kind of follows up our theme uh, from Joan's question too. Yeah, I think there's a couple answers to this question. And actually we could probably say, it's a reference to three different things. The glory of the Lord is revealed, first of all, and Matt, you just said he was prophesying about 75 years in the future when the when they would be taken away to Babylon. So the glory of the, ro- the Lord would be revealed when they came back from Babylon, number one. Then secondly, and maybe especially poignantly as we think about Christmas, the glory of the Lord would be revealed in Jesus himself and everything that he did, especially saving us. And then thirdly, yeah, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And then verse five says, all people will see it together. And that is definitely going to happen on the last day at the end of time. Sometimes we can maybe fall into trying to really pinpoint that a prophecy, especially in the Old Testament maybe, is just about one specific thing. And it happens a lot in the Bible that there are multiple fulfillments to prophecies. And that's the case here. It's about the end times, yes, but it's also about Jesus. And it's also about the people coming back from Babylon. And I think maybe one more question. This one is from our friend, William, all the way from Madison, Wisconsin. And he's got a bunch of questions here. I'm going to try to summarize it well. Uh, He said, the whole text seems kind of random. And he's thinking about the greater context too. He said, chapter 39 reads like history, but then all of a sudden chapter 40 seems very different. Like is Isaiah still talking to Hezekiah? Cause he had given Hezekiah a, a doomsday prophecy, you could say, or is it comfort about the Babylonian captivity in general? Or is it a conversation between God and Isaiah? What in the world is going on? Why is this Isaiah 41 to 11 right here. Do you guys have thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a great question. And he's absolutely right. In a, in a sense, it can see random uh, just because Isaiah is kind of switching tones here rather abruptly. And for that reason, a lot of people will, um, this may be a somewhat shock or surprise to, to a lot of Christians who've just grown up hearing the book of Isaiah written by Isaiah the prophet. But in the last, you know, several decades, people have speculated, and I'm sure even longer than that, just about whether or not Isaiah wrote the whole thing. Because as the question pointed out, um, there is a change in tone. It's very different in the 
the way it talks, the way it reads as well. Um, Isaiah's message is very different. Um, but the difference, though, in style, in tone, in message, it in no way invalidates that Isaiah is the prophet and the, uh, the author of his entire book here. In fact, we have the New Testament where in the book of John, uh, he introduced quotes from Isaiah 53, Isaiah 12, and Isaiah 6. So both the first half of Isaiah and the second half where he says, thus said Isaiah the prophet. And so we know that this is God's inspired prophet uh, writing. This is God's inspired word of Isaiah here. And in the same way that, you know, a uh, different artist at different points in their career would speak, may, or maybe let's say this, put out a different album, for example, that sounds different. Um, that's what Isaiah is doing, but he's doing it with even more reason and cause that God has given him a message and God has given him a vision to talk about. And the first 39 chapters, they do. They prophesy all of the judgment and the punishment for Israel's unfaithfulness that's going to come. Um, there is the predictions about the judgment that's going to come from different nations. There's different prophecies of God's judgment upon not only the people of Israel, but also the earth. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 40, he switches it and he gives words of comfort, comfort to my people. And so why does it follow chapter 39? Well, for no other reason than, than the law has been preached and now God's giving gospel. And that's what you have here. You have a shift from the conversation between Isaiah and Hezekiah to now, this is a conversation between God and Isaiah. One of the really interesting parts about this text is this is not God talking to his people. He's talking to his prophet about his prophet talking to God's people. And he's saying, Isaiah, here is what I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them all of the comfort and joy, glad tidings of comfort and joy that are here. And that's really encouraging that our God gives us that. I'll add one more thing before I'll kick it to you guys for your thoughts. But Isaiah chapter 40, the first couple verses that we focused on here, it's divided up into four stanzas uh, that often are looked at as kind of an outline for what's going to happen in the second half of the book of Isaiah, that it gives sort of a preview of the comfort and the gospel uh, that's yet to come in the subsequent chapters. I'm going to piggyback on what you said there towards the end, just how comforting it is that this is what God says to us. Like we can say that God is telling Isaiah to tell this to people and we're hearing it from Isaiah. And then also not just as pastors, but as Christians, this is what we get to tell people. Uh, we can overcomplicate it. I know we as pastors can overcomplicate it. Christians can too, but we just get to tell people what God has done for them comfort. His word endures forever. Here is your God, all those things. That's incredibly comforting for me personally, and I hope for everyone else who's listening to this too. Well, thank you guys for joining in and thanks for all those listening again. It's been a joy getting to journey through Isaiah during this Advent season so far and look forward to doing it in the coming weeks. Josh, can you close this out? Yeah, let's do that. Let's close with prayer. Lord, as we continue to get ready for uh, Christmas, to celebrate your first coming, uh, we know that we are also looking ahead and forward uh, to your second coming when, when you, Christ, come again. And as we look ahead to that, we ask that you help us and lead us to prepare the way for you uh, with repentance. 
help us to take our help us to take our pride and our earthly comforts uh, that sin and, and bring them to you, knowing that you comfort us with your forgiveness that you have uh, paid for our sin. And Lord, during this Advent season, keep bringing us that comfort, keep bringing us that peace, that message of forgiveness that not only gives us peace, but it gives us motivation to share that comfort with others. Uh, help us find opportunities this Christmas season uh, to tell people exactly what you've told us to tell them, that here is your God, Jesus Christ, born for them, to live and die for them. And keep leading us throughout this season as our Good Shepherd. Gather us, carry us, and lead us back to you again and again. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.